Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Super Bowl. NBA All-Star. NHL All-Star. Golf season heating up. Soccer season heating up. NASCAR. Daytona 500 right around the corner. All sorts of mega events, and we've got to deal with them as we should. Deal-making issues, three to one. Three. Ontario opening their private sports betting market April 4, long-awaited and allowing authorized private sports books to begin taking bets. Gaming Ontario, a subsidiary of Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, says private gaming operators have registered and executed an operating agreement with the agency. Those can begin their games to players in Ontario beginning April 4, and Canadian provinces gained the legal authority to allow bets on single sporting events on August 27, the date when legislation amending Canada's criminal code took effect. Ontario's plan to expand legal sports betting operations allows an unlimited number of private sports books to seek a license to operate in the province. Departure from most other provinces, which have mainly appointed their lottery corporations to oversee new forms of betting. Alberta signal it'll allow private sports books, but in a more limited way than Ontario. And Ontario's online gambling market expected to generate about $989 million in gross revenues in its first year, hitting $1.86 billion by 2026. Two. Number two, Kayla Harrison looks to re-up with PFL as all noise surrounding the UFC. She's looking out for herself, for herself most important. She's one of the best female fighters in the world, linked with UFC, and there were discussions about her taking on Amanda Nunez. And however, she's looking for short-term deals with the most money she could get on a per-fight basis, and the UFC is not that. And following Nunez's loss to Juliana Pena, as well as the ongoing issues with UFC fighter pay and treatment, she seems to be leaning toward resigning with PFL. Harrison stated that PFL definitely is the front-runner, and exact details of the arrangement isn't known, but the two-time Olympic gold medalist, sure to attract some very enticing offers. Huge move, regardless of where she chooses to take her talents. Deal-making issue number two. One. Super Bowl upon us. Economic impact probably doubled prior activation limited events, especially at the $5 billion SoFi Stadium and all the drama attached to it. What happens with the Vikings and their coach? What happens with Harbaugh, Brady, retire or not? Aaron Rodgers, where does he go? The NFL never, ever sleeps. A big issue with them. And probably the most important issue is ticket prices. They're right now well over six grand a ticket in the secondary market. And some suspect they'll even go higher. Deal-making issue number one. We'll revisit that next week and subsequent weeks. Leading us to all things football, a good friend is our topic this week, Jamie Roots. He started as president of the Columbus Crew, Clemson undergrad, a accomplished speaker and 
author. He just came out with a best-selling book, The Winning Game Plan, a proven leadership playbook for continuous business success. His big claim to fame, the president of the Houston, Texas, for many years, including along with the Greater Houston Partnership that the, he then led, brought the Super Bowl to Houston and building uh, 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 the, uh, the major uh, facility in Houston that will serve as a Super Bowl venue for years to come, as well as the Texans. Jamie has been diverse in the field, a well-known, as I said, author, speaker, entrepreneur, and good friend. As we head into the Super Bowl and the NFL shining brightly, here's Jamie Roots. Look, we got a lot to cover in a fairly short period of time. We established your credentials from a very diverse perspective. And let's get uh, one kind of comment out of the way quickly relative to kind of organizational similarities and differences. You ran soccer franchises. You ran the business operations of the Texans for you know 20 years. What, what are the big kind of similarities and differences uh, uh, between those two leagues, organizations and the like? Well, the uh, the differences would be the you know the the amount of time that they've been around and the uh, the size of the two leagues. I mean, the National Football League is the most successful sports league in America, at least, and you can make arguments you know globally because of the uh, popularity of the of the game uh, you know across the planet. Uh, you know, soccer is still in this uh, in this country is in a building stage. It certainly has has great numbers, has great following. Uh, the game of soccer globally is the most popular sport in the world, and uh, so the the, uh, the the differences are easier to see. The similarities are, you know, you've got fans, you've fans who are looking to uh, engage with uh, sports property, look looking to watch on TV, looking to come to games, looking to become, you know, give of their give of their passion. And finding a way to give yeah. that to them in a way that they feel rewarded for their loyalty is uh, is the challenge on both sides. And that's a good common interest because I assume you, when you were running the franchises, believed that you and the ownership groups that you work with and represented were kind of holding the franchise in public trust as a community asset. A lot of people opine differently on that issue, but tell me your philosophy. Well, I think that's the best way to approach it is that you're a caretaker of the uh, of a community asset because when you ask the fans, I mean they they're um if 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 you have a great owner in a market, they have an appreciation for it. If it's on the other side, they have some kind of, you know, some some differences with ownership, but at the end of the day, they really believe that the the franchise belongs to the city. You go back to the experience of the Cleveland Browns and the and the Browns, you know, moving and then being reestablished and just I mean you could tell that uh, Cleveland uh, and the Browns were, uh, you know, inextricably linked, regardless of who uh, might own the franchise. So I, I think it is the best attitude to take is that you're you're the caretaker of a community asset. Let's talk NFL broad picture for a couple of minutes. You got COVID, you got stadium renovation issues, you've got perpetuation of labor peace, uh, you've got the hunt for new revenue in a business that. Uh, uh, wants $25 billion a year or bust. But what do you think the greatest challenge are, challenges facing the NFL are? Well, I think it's it's complacency, and, and you certainly haven't seen any of that either at the league level or at the team level. Is You know, you've always got to be trying to get better. Your fans and their expectations are raising. Um, you know, your costs are raising. Your players' uh, salaries are, are, are rising. And so, you know, you, you really have to get up every day and and pursue new opportunities and try to get better every day. 
it's the challenge that exists on the field and off the field. And and you know, as far as labor peace is concerned, we're in the middle of a uh, picking one of the items. We're in the middle of a uh, could be disastrous lockout uh, in baseball. Could be over quickly. Uh, and they're at $11, $12 billion a year. The NFL, $16, $18 billion, even with a 20% COVID uh, uh, reduction. Um, how uh, is it that with all of the dollars that are generated, that uh, there seems to be some uh, rhetorical dissonance, but basically labor harmony between labor and management? How does the NFL survive so well moving it down the road without any stoppages of late? Well, it's a lot of hard work by a lot of really smart people that are that are committed on both sides of the table that uh, that want to keep playing the games. You know, the players want to uh, want to play the game. They they want to earn their salaries. The uh, likewise, the the owners want to continue to present the game for the fans. And um, so uh, we've been fortunate that uh, things have gone um, well, but it's not been by chance. It's been by hard work and real commitment on both sides to, to be able to come to something that, that uh, both sides can support. Talk about NFL and media, and, and you were in the middle of it uh, when you evaluate an expansion franchise and, and uh, uh, are in fee negotiations with the McNair family and the Texans and what the number would be. Not a whole lot of negotiation. The league tells you what it is and you, <laughs> you pay it. But the, the bottom line is there are revenue streams uh, analysis. Now we have uh, uh, vignette opportunities. We have uh, Amazon and, and, and uh, uh, other uh, non-mainstream networks. NFL with its uh, $111 billion package bidding uh, one against each other. Where is the media process going long term? And, and how does the NFL continue to significantly increase value year over year in that context yeah well it's all it's it's a it's it's about the uh the the game itself i mean the live sports events are um are fairly uh removed from you know time shifted viewing you know people want to experience the game as it's happening and so those ratings have have held up i mean the numbers continue to be very good in an environment where everything else is uh, is falling and the second thing is is about innovation i mean i really applaud the you know the executives at the league, league office they've always been looking at how do we create greater value for our partners and at the end of the day if you create value for the partners there's for your partners there's value that's available uh for both of you and so i think the league's done a really good job of being smart and thoughtful about the uh uh, about the approaches that we, they've taken through the negotiation processes and, and because of that have wound up with good results and the league also is pretty smart at, at allocating uh, media revenues. I understand that much of the heavy lifting was done before you and even uh, before I was uh, uh, at a point of making any difference. The Hallises and the Roonies and the Maras relative to why Green Bay and others exist because of the national revenue being divided. The Texans, according to the latest Forbes number, it doesn't have to be accurate, it's published $3.7 billion, an increase of 12 uh, percent, even uh, notwithstanding the pandemic. Right in the middle, 11, 11 out of 32. So uh, is in that context, and you learned, lived it, is, is the, do teams look at each other as effectively uh, really business partners? I know they try to beat the hell out of each other on the field, but off field, uh, is, does, does each owner look at, at himself as a one thirty-second partner in a larger and greater good? Well, you put it best. Uh, on the field, it's as fierce a competition as it could possibly be, and that's what the the fans expect: is that uh, each, each owner has a favorite team, and it's his. 
right? And, uh, and that's the on the field product. But off the field, really, it is a partnership. You've got to have uh, 32 strong clubs and a strong league in order for the league overall, the entire enterprise to be successful. And, and, you know, I've, I've listened to the conversations. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's certainly always disagreements that exist, but at the end of the day, the focus is on what's best for the league uh, overall and people needing to put their own individual hats to the side as it comes to the business and doing that in the best way for the fans and for the league and for the communities that uh, in which uh, each of the teams operate. Let's talk about revenues for a second uh, in a certain couple of contexts. One is uh, gambling. Now, no sports betting in Texas. It's the Wild West. But yet there are 37, 38 states that have it. We're predicting $7 billion in the next four or five years. Uh, sports, mobile betting, good idea, bad idea, and uh, uh, nationally. And then speaking about Texas, I know you don't have a political crystal ball, but will it ever get there? Well, there's a good, a good question you know, that you asked. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? And regardless of how anybody feels on it, it's happening. It's happening whether it's legalized or not. You know, I mean, the uh, um, people are, have been betting for a long time on, on all sorts of sporting events. And so I think what we have now is it coming into the light and providing opportunities for leagues and for teams to appropriately monetize those opportunities, which has been great. But more importantly is the, uh, the fan engagement that, uh, that rises as people you know, participate more deeply, whether that's through fantasy or sports betting, they, they just become more engaged in the game, not only watching their favorite team, but watching other games throughout the league. And, and that's good. That keeps those ratings high and that makes our broadcasters happy and makes, ever, makes the whole ecosystem work. Super Bowl stadiums. Super Bowl is in a minute. So the crew in 99, uh, you got that done. NRG uh, in Houston got that done. There are a lot of other facilities that you know about. And now we have the Build Back Better. We've got some opportunities to talk about post-pandemic recovery infrastructure, kind of like what Yankee Stadium did and was done after the Spanish flu pandemic 100 years ago. Uh, where do we think the facility public-private partnership stuff is going, public money for stadiums and kind of the future in that context? Well, I think those opportunities will continue to exist uh, in some markets more, more than others, but you've seen more and more teams um, you know, wanting to really push the envelope on what their, their stadiums can provide for their fans, and you've seen greater and greater uh, you know, private pr participation in these stadium projects the league a long time ago in the National Football League with G3, et cetera, has provided opportunities and incentives for teams to, to go out and really create the finest sporting experience that you can possibly uh, have for your fans and your market. And so uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see it. Can, I, I'm not sure what the appetite publicly will be going forward, but I know that the teams really understand that, uh, you know, your stadium's your factory and that's where you're presenting your games and that's where you're hosting your customers. And speaking of stadium, as the Greater Houston Partnership guy and being involved in the host committee for the 2004 and the 17 Super Bowls, a uh, real significant economic impact for those games. Does Houston get another one soon? Vegas just got what it did, L.A. Super Bowls in a community, how important is that? Well, it's, it's a tremendous economic uh, benefit for any community. And, you know, people do their estimates. I think in Houston, we pegged it at 350 uh, million dollars for the economic impact for that uh, that event. But the ability to showcase your community on an international stage is unparalleled. 
and it's the kind of event that brings the entirety of the community together to uh, to work on projects to make your your city the most you know most attractive as possible. But it's a it's a huge beauty contest. A lot of great stadiums, a lot of great cities, but certainly would love to have it back in Houston. Well, as you know, Jamie gives us a perspective that we have all over the NFL, but maybe not with the qualifications and experience Jamie possesses. So good to hear from him. Let's look at the gaming minute we're doing every week, and this week we focus on the New York Racing Association that's partnered with Caesar Sportsbook. They'll partner with NYRA Bets to offer customer sports betting promos and offers across the state and on-site Belmar Park in Saratoga, as well as access to VIP hospitality assets for Caesar Sportsbook bettors through the Sportsbook app integration with the industry-leading loyalty program. Caesar's rewards, hospitality assets include premium seating at Saratoga, the Turf Triple series of races, three-year-old turf runners in the world, the $1 million purse designed for winning and top-line racing. And beginning this spring, Caesar's Turf Triple consists of the grade one $1 million Caesar's Jockey Club Derby. Caesar's Sportsbook among the first sports betting operators to launch in the Empire State on the day mobile sports wedgering went live and benefited from its relationship with Naira Bets to reach its online horse racing audience. That's your Gaming Minute. Your Sports Tech Minute deals with FanDuel and the partnership with John Rothstein to bring his passionate following to sports betting and college basketball. He creates unique content on his social channels discussing betting in conjunction with his college basketball coverage. Rothstein also appears as a frequent contributor on FanDuel's digital shows and programming, contributes articles to FanDuel's publications, and collaborates with FanDuel on custom offerings and promotions. FanDuel has access to John's name, likeness, and popular taglines such as, We Sleep in May. FanDuel and Rothstein will collaborate to create fun, etc. Digital media space, obviously changed, creating talents that combine their general knowledge with their gambling acumen. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, good sports. We continue to focus on philanthropy, hopefully as the pandemic wanes. Christian Eriksson back in action, joining Brentford to mark his return to the Premier League. Danish broadcaster DR says that he hears he wants to play in this year's World Cup and The bottom line is a tremendously philanthropic individual. The charities should all benefit. Mason Greenwood, on the other hand, arrested on suspicion of rape and assault, likely marking an end to his young career. Man U released a statement saying he's been suspended and placed on leave. Ronda Rousey returned to Royal Rumble on Saturday night. She's also appeared in numerous movies and TV shows, further showing her knack for the theatrics. David Ortiz, we talked about his amazing philanthropy, probably rewarded by being elected to the Hall of Fame. Boston certainly has been the winner. And then finally, the Cincinnati Bengals handing out game balls to various bars and restaurants around Cincinnati following their playoff victories. Coach Zach Taylor believes the fans should share in all of this, as they are a city that's been waiting in decades, for decades, for moments like this. Seven game balls to local restaurants. More on the way. You suspect the next couple of weeks, it's all Bengals all the time. Well, that's our show for this week. As we head to the Super Bowl, we'd like to thank Jamie Roots for participating in putting this together. We'd like to thank 
Nick Nielsen, uh, uh, who's my guy, and uh, a whole bunch of people who have put this together for mega distribution across various platforms. We'd also like to thank you for listening and watching. And once again, join us next week in the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Sports professor Rick Harrow, speak with you then. Thank you.